This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. I have with me Gerald Brooks from Plano, Texas. Uh, we're going to just spend a little bit of time with Gerald's just kind of peppering him with some questions. Uh, let me take you just a little bit back before we start. The purpose behind these podcasts, as well as the mission of our, our, our heart at this moment in our ministry, is to help churches, to help pastors and leaders be able to overcome roadblocks in their life, to be able to fulfill the mission vision of their heart. And it's something that uh, we feel very deeply called to, and this is part of that calling. Uh, you have been, Gerald, you've been an amazing impact in the life of this church and in my life. Uh, for, I guess, almost 20 years, uh, your material, uh, the, the CDs back in the day, hmm. and now the podcast that you actually have available. And I want to make every listener aware that this, of course, is the, 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 our podcast, but I'd like them to be uh, go online and to, and to download yours. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible wealth of information. It's, it's changed the way I pastor. I, I typically tell people I introduce you as a John Maxwell of pastors, that you teach leadership in a way that literally empowers pastoral leaders to be able to make decisions that move the needle. And, um, and your capacity to be able to address issues in a succinct way that are not just philosophical but practical uh, has helped us immensely. And we would be here much longer than we need to be with me giving examples. So, But let me just start with this, is that your story began in Sweetwater, Texas, many years ago. And we're going to make sure that you have enough time. So we'll do two podcasts today. There'll be a part one and part two. So just take a, just a few moments and share where your heart to help leaders came from, from that seat, uh, uh, Sweetwater experience. Well, John, first, uh, thank you so much for letting me to be a part of the podcast. And um, I'm just so proud of you. I'm proud of the great work that you've done here. And um, Pennsylvania and just the amazing leader that you are and the things that you've done to help so many. Uh, that being said, uh, my journey as a leader uh, didn't start uh, very well. In fact, the first church that I pastored, as John mentioned, was in a place called Sweetwater, Texas. That's about four hours, four and a half hours west of Dallas. Um, I was a young kid, and I was asked to take over a church of about 70 people. Uh, but being a young kid, I thought I was the smartest person in the room and knew more than everybody else. And it took me two years, but that church imploded. Now, when I say that, I don't say that with glee because one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for uh, that church and the things that I did wrong, being a young, arrogant kid who just wouldn't listen to anybody. But that being said, it sort of set up my journey as a pastor, and that journey began with the fact that I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to be the person that when you walk in the room, everyone's sort of whispering about, and to be the person who's praying for success but experiencing failure. And uh, my Sweetwater days frame my days today because uh, I remember years ago going to a pastor's conference, and when I went to that pastor's conference, uh, because of a flight schedule, we arrived late, and I ended up uh, having to walk in, and every seat was filled except a few seats right up front. And my lovely wife, Jenny, and I walked up front, and when we walked up front, we sat down just being, uh, hey, empty seat, sit here, and then an usher came and 
said we had to leave because those were for friends and family. For those of you who don't know me, I do have a, a little bit of gift of sarcasm. <laughs> I said to the uh, usher, I said, well, it's obviously he doesn't have any friends or family. <laughs> and um, he made me um, leave. And as I was walking back, knowing that everyone was staring at us, uh, I wasn't embarrassed for me. I was embarrassed for my wife. And I said to God, if I ever have this thing called success, I don't want to forget what this feels like. And so over the last many years, we've done uh, so many leadership events for pastors, roundtables, various things, which I've been privileged to even, you've hosted several of them up here. And that became the genesis. But my passion is for the pastor who is trying hard, doesn't feel like anyone will listen to him or anyone will uh, talk to him. And that's my target. And uh, I love pastors and I want to help them. And through a series of events, I've just been able to, uh, over the years, create a liaison for pastors to help them succeed. And so that being said, again, I just want to say how proud I am of you because uh, you and your lovely wife have built one of the most amazing ministries. And I'm so excited for you doing the podcast because you have so much to share. And um, I think you're going to knock the ball out of the park. Well, you know, having started in your first work and, and it falling apart in a couple of years, then pioneering the work that you pastor now in Plano, where for 35 years you've experienced growth every year. And and I, if I understand, it's never been like a one year where you grew by a thousand. It's been a consistent growth every year over 35 years, which is pretty remarkable, knowing the barriers you had to overcome to be able to continually do that. I think for all of us, and where I think your, your impact on my life was most significant, is that when I hit those barriers, and they were... I didn't even know what the barriers were. And that's part of the problem. I was hitting things. I couldn't define them. If you don't know the problem, you can't find a solution. Absolutely. But when I would listen to you teach, you would speak to things that were so clear to me, and it made such perfect sense that I could apply it, and it made a difference, and it made a change. And it took what was in my heart and brought it out into my life, into my church where it began to bear fruit. And so having gone from the Sweetwater days to pastoring really one of the largest churches in the country. How do you, as you've walked through all those days and the roadblocks that we all hit, how did you manage the multiple roadblocks that all pastors face? And maybe you could define a couple of the most significant ones for us. Well, um, pastoring is one of those interesting journeys where uh, obstacles are being thrown at you. And I like to describe pastoring. It's like being in a car and everyone's trying to grab the steering wheel from you because they know what's best and they know better. Um, for me, um, breaking through several of the barriers was a little bit of a challenge. Um, the 500 barrier was interesting because the 500 barrier creates a, uh, a challenge because what a lot of us were taught and we believe that you reward faithfulness, sometimes you've got to make evaluated decisions. And when you start, you just want anyone who will help you. But as you begin to grow, you have to have gifted people to help you. And so how do you go from anyone helping you to gifted people who help you and still maintain value? And so uh, that was a hard thing because there's a relational toll on that. Because at times you have to say things for the best of the church that may not be best for a singular relationship. 
And for most pastors, none of us want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to challenge people as far as uh, causing them to feel less of themselves. Uh, But we know that with the Mosaic example and Exodus chapter 18, there comes a time when you have to have skilled people and everyone that can handle 10 cannot handle 100 and everyone who can handle 100 cannot handle 1,000. And yet that was the advice that Moses had that he needed to find people who were skilled at different levels. And as uh, a leader, sometimes you've had people who've been with you at certain points of the journey, but you have to inject skill levels And those are delicate conversations that you have to have. And so um, that would be one of the the barriers, just the relational conversations you have to have to grow. The other side of that coin would be you went from blowing up a church to to now pastoring the church you do now. So something had to change from Sweetwater to Plano and the way you practiced and the way you lived your life and the way you did ministry. And so there obviously looking back had to be identifiable barriers that you broke through that enabled you to take what was in your heart and now 35 years of consistent ministry that that's remarkable in any field let alone pastoral ministry we know the attrition rate so uh maybe help us understand how did you deal with that how did you overcome those things find those things and and break through them personally well after I imploded the church in Sweetwater. Uh, I was smart enough to know that God probably gave you a quota of how many churches you're allowed to destroy in one <laughs> lifetime. Uh, I assumed that one was enough. and so. But I felt like I needed to still be uh, an aggressive leader in ministry and to pastor. And so that led me to a second tier. And I had to recognize there were things I didn't know. And I couldn't pretend that I didn't know them. And I couldn't act like I didn't know them. And so what that ensued was uh, the involvement of me beginning to pursue um, a mentoring relationship. And when I say mentoring relationship, everyone says, well, I want a mentor. I want someone that I can sit down and spend a lot of time. The first 10 years that these men were my mentors, I never spent one minute with them. But you don't have to be close to them to be mentored by them. But I had three mentors. All of them had uh, a pastoral gift. All of them had uh, been a part of a journey where they were teachers, which I am. And uh, I began to learn. And one of them taught me the heart of ministry, always do what's best for the church. Another one taught me how to be practical in ministry, that as much as ministry is about spiritual things, you still have to have practical applications. And another one taught me how to think, that it's all right to be spiritually minded, that you can be spiritual and use your mind. And um, that was the gap builder. And as I like to tell people, if you don't have a brain, borrow one. (laughs) And uh, I obviously didn't have a brain, so I borrowed one, and I borrowed three. And that became sort of the foundation stone for um, sort of launching um, the um, Plano Church and getting us to uh, have that initial burst where we tended to uh, learn from our mistakes. You know, Gerald, when I look at the landscape of pastors today, the accessibility to information is everywhere. But I see a gravitation very often to people that have the kind of giftings that I could never duplicate. And this is not to diminish any of these ministries. I think they're remarkable. I think of uh, young emerging ministries that are beyond emerging is someone like Stephen Furtick. It's remarkable, his speaking gift. Uh, More from our generational perspective, a T.D. Jakes. While I can 
be enthralled by their gifting, and I can learn from their gifting. I can't duplicate it. Absolutely. And so what I often find ministers doing is gravitating toward ministries that are built off of not, and I'm not suggesting that they don't have a broader base in their gift, but I can't duplicate their gift. Mm-hmm. And so when I, for example, in the beginning and the onset, encourage people to go through iTunes, Google, whatever, to get your podcast, most of that will go in and out of the ears of most listeners. I think the difference between the people that are breaking through the roadblocks and those that are not are the people that are making the investment to gain the mentorship. They could go on your podcast and go back and get 29 lessons and, and then two a month uh, forward that, that will continually be building them. And it's not you telling them what's unique to you. I think that's where what you've done for me and what you've done for so many across the nation is that you didn't just tell us what you're good at. You told us how to process things. And again, I don't have time to be specific, but there are many that I, they're indelible in my mind because I took what you said, we actually applied it, and it made it an immediate change. And so, one, I would encourage all the listeners to, to, to become a part of your podcast, uh, to sign up for the podcast and, and listen to them, invest the kind of time. And so when I consider that you've done this for 35 years, dealing with every imaginable disappointment that you can, yet I, I see in you today maybe a more focus, a focused passion than I've ever seen, this, this almost um, obsession to help pastors and to pour your life into them. For all of us, you know, five years of being good at something is, is, is remarkable. 35 years. What do you attribute 35 years of maintained passion and fruitfulness to? Well, I think you just spoke a little bit about it. You have to remain passionate. And passion's one of those descriptive words that many times I think we misunderstand. We tend to see passion as the person who is yelling at the top of their lungs at a sporting event. But passion is a lot deeper than that. What passion is, is it's that inward knowing that you are doing something that is meaningful for eternity. And it just compels you. It compels you to get up on good days. It compels you to stay up on bad days. It compels you to be a person who will always learn and always grow because you realize that we've been given the privilege of investing for eternity. And I would say that a lot of people, like you said, at times fall in love with a gift. But when you fall in love with passion, you're falling in love with God's heart. Mm -hmm. And when you fall in love with God's heart, that passion begins to be a foundation stone that takes you places. And so uh, to every pastor out there, I would just say, hey, um, there is a passion that God wants to birth in you. And maybe you haven't clarified it to a degree because everything God does is in layer, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. But over a period of time, it accumulates and it has a great reward. And I would say to you, uh, don't discard early understanding, but always take all understanding and build on it, and God begins to create something so meaningful in you that begins to change your life, but more than that, it changes other people's lives. So we have been blessed that uh, every year for 35 years, we've grown. And again, we've not been the remarkable church that's at 5,000, 10,000, or anything like that. We have just grown uh, hundreds of people every year, and we've done that for 35 years. 
And we found that to be manageable, and we found it to be something we can pastor. Um, Drawing a crowd is one thing. Creating a congregation is a different thing, and they're not synonymous. Uh, When I started the church in Plano, there were three megachurches that everyone went to in our area. Within five years, all three uh, of those churches disappeared. They don't exist anymore. But they were where everyone went. They were the places everyone went to the pastor's conference. And so what I'd say to the average guy like me, who's not the most talented, most gifted, I don't articulate as well as most, I uh, am steadfast, but to the average person, building churches is something God asks us to do. And we can build healthy, effective churches, and we can do it. And you don't have to be the top-line communicator. You just have to have a passion for what you're doing. People love passion more than professionalism. And as professional as some things come across, passion wins in the long term. You know, we have basically two different groups that are going to be attracted to this podcast. The younger emerging leader that's wanting to find their place and, and to do great things for God. And then that person who's been at this a while and they've hit that lid and they've hit that place to where they love God. They pray. They, they've done everything that they think that, that they've known, known to do. And yet it seems like they've hit these barriers that they just don't know how to break, break through. And the emotional toll that that takes on a person is just overwhelming. Uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think the, the the attrition rate, the amount of pastors that want to, if they aren't quitting, would, would if they could, is, is often attributed to the fact that we they're not experiencing what God put in their heart. Absolutely. And so in our part two of this, I want to take some time and, and delve into the emotional capacity of a leader. Because if you can't deal with that issue, and all of us have been devastated emotionally in pastoring. It just It's impossible not to be when you deal with people, particularly hurting people. And, and in my case, when you were one of the hurting people. Yeah. You know, it just, it, you just, I look back and I think it's just a miracle that, that I survived anything myself, let alone our church. Yeah. And so in our next time together, uh, we're going to take that, we're going to delve into the issue of the emotions of a leader because your content on that is absolutely life-changing. So, Gerald, thanks for taking the time to... Uh, to be a part and a, and a guest on our podcast. It's such an honor to be your friend, and it's an honor that you would take the time to do this. So uh, uh, until we see you all next time, God bless you. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.